Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Finally, Andrew, we're moving on. We are. No more royals for the moment. Uh, we're dealing with other scandals. Other well, unexplained mysteries. Well, I guess the Kennedys are America's royal family, people have said. Yeah, and I mean, we've got someone who, in some ways, I think probably has solved the Kennedy assassination, which is almost literally 60 years ago to this day. I know. Um, his book is one of the all-time classics, I think, um, in terms of journalistically investigating a conspiracy theory or theories. Um, and yeah, he's been in the news quite a lot, actually. He's been still, I think he's putting out a new edition. We'll put a link in the bio of the programme. Yes, no, no, he's always very impressive. I mean, full mastery of this facts, very articulate, and um, I'm looking forward to this. Um, yeah, I think as a, as a primer to people who don't know as much as you, me, or, or him, he knows a lot. Um, I guess the focus of his work really was, was, was always on Oswald himself. You know, that's why his book was so interesting. He really digs into his, his life story and, and makes it very clear that he, he was the obvious suspect. Because he behaved so suspiciously, you know his weird yes. political journey was very left wing. Then he then he decided the Soviet Union was rubbish, so he went off to Cuba, and they didn't particularly want him. And he was a he came back. He was he was a trained sniper. He was seen carrying a gun wrapped up um, in a blanket into the book depository. And of course, he runs away, shoots a policeman. Most people don't know that it's not just Kennedy who dies that day. He yes, shoots a policeman. Yes. Um, Tippet. Um, but I think also, I mean, by just trying to understand the motivation and um, not getting bogged down in a lot of the minutiae, at least when he starts, uh, as you say, it lays out, it looks very logical when you look at it in those terms. Uh, and you just need to cut away a lot of the anomalies that clearly are there. Lots of, I mean, there was clearly a cover up, but a cover up um, 
I suspect because the CIA were looking at uh, at um, uh, Oswald a bit more closely than I think perhaps people realised. Mm, mm. No, he was certainly on their radar, and all the stuff about the the, the, the mafia and the Teamsters Union and all sorts of dodgy things going on around Cuba. I mean, all those things were happening. You know, America was, was trying to destabilize Cuba all the time and even tried to kill Castro. But um, Oswald was sort of separate to all that. Uh, he's just yeah. his own little mad thing. Where, and people just seem to want, have always wanted to make more of it than that. Well, I think it's like Diana. I mean, it, it's a story. I mean, you, you can't sustain a conspiracy as large as that for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, with everyone there. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, in the way it didn't make sense for Prince Philip to kill, uh, Diana, it doesn't make sense for Lyndon Johnson or the CIA and everyone else to kill Kennedy. Quite agree. Quite agree. Okay. Well, before we meet him, shall we just do a little bit of housekeeping? We have a shop. I'm very excited yes. about our shop. Yes. So far, we had three sales. I think one to you and two to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, selling, we're selling some very good things for Christmas. Well, if you're interested, anybody listening or watching, we have a, uh, a scandalmonger shop now. It'll grow over the coming weeks, but there's some interesting things on there already. You can find it at Etsy. Again, we'll put the link in the bio of this program and also on TikTok. Um, and talking of TikTok, it's been our best week ever on TikTok. I know Andrew doesn't know what it is. I've never looked at it, but I do little clips from the shows. And last week's with Michael Cole, it's the first time we've had 100,000 views on TikTok. Gosh. And like a gazillion comments. People get very angry. <laughs> Not everybody agrees with Michael or each other, but it's a lively community. And we're really, you know, quite a few people then come across. Because I see in the comments on YouTube, people have found us on TikTok and then come across to watch the whole well, show. Good. So that's all good. Well, we, we, want, we want to create a discussion. I mean, we are putting sometimes provocative people up uh, who perhaps go against the grain because I think we, we have to hear all sorts of views. And then, of course, people can respond to those views as they have been, clearly. Indeed, they have. Okay, so um, contain your excitement and don't rush off now and buy a hat or a T-shirt, but maybe do or – or a mug. We love our mugs. By next week's programme, we should have our mugs in our hands so we can show them off, wave them at the camera. And maybe our T-shirts. I mean, our, our catchphrase really is, are you feeling scandalous? Yeah, I, I quite like nobody needs to know, but there's a whole range of them. And anybody listening and watching wants a particular slogan on a mug or a T-shirt, let us know. It's quite easy to do. You just put it in the shop and you can buy it. And how are our stats looking? I mean, have we been bringing in new read- new listeners from the Pacific or anywhere else? Uh, well, we're still in the lower reaches of the chart in Scandinavia. We seem to can do no wrong. Finland, Sweden, Norway. Uh, I think Argentina as well. We were in the charts. Um, that's good. It's all good. 200,000 downloads now, you know, not as many as some, but growing. That's the key thing, I think. It's yeah. Growing. And it's interesting. People are going back to the earlier episodes. We've, I think, put up uh, the top five episodes so far in terms of popularity. We've also put forward some of our favorites. Uh, and we're keen to know what other people have enjoyed, and that will help guide us what we do in the future. But we've got a couple of scandals coming up, haven't we? Uh, Jimmy Savile, um, Robert Maxwell, and, and Jeremy Thorpe. Uh, and um, I think we're going to have a surprise over Christmas, aren't we? Yes, we're planning a little Christmas surprise for our loyal listeners. Um, I think we're also looking at Madeleine McCann, something that many people have asked oh, cool. us to do. Uh, we're trying to arrange a show on that. So the next few weeks will be non-royal scandals, but hopefully really gripping and interesting. Yes. Um, so looking forward yeah. to that. And do you want to go and um, find out more about Kennedy? Yes, I think that we should. Let's do it. Here we go.
Sure, it's lovely to have you back. It must be a very busy time for you with the 60th anniversary of the assassination. The um, Yes, I predicted that incorrectly. I said to uh, my wife, uh, Tricia, a few weeks ago, um, it, 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 the 60th anniversary won't be that much of a retrospective because it's so long afterwards. And I've seen others pass without a lot. But for some reason, this caught a lot of attention, maybe because it's the last one we will have with a zero that has witnesses still alive, even though they're now near 90 who were there that day. So it's a passing of an error in some ways. Gosh. And are new things emerging now? Are people coming forward? I mean, there's the famous story of the policeman who's changed his story, which I think you've addressed in your book and in articles. Yeah, I mean, there's always something breaking. I mean, you know, people forget, I think we've had 32 or 33 People confess to being the second assassin, believe it or not. Gosh. So there's, some, <laughs> there's no yeah, mystery yeah, there, then. <laughs> yeah, no, it's quite quite amazing. Uh, so there's always some bit of good of news coming out, but this time on this anniversary, you're absolutely right. Uh, the there was a bit of news from somebody who was there without any question, uh, a Secret Service agent who says he found a whole bullet. On the day of the assassination in the presidential limousine as it arrived at the hospital where they were frantically trying to revive a mortally wounded president. And he did the opposite of what anybody would expect. He took that bullet in the middle of an assassination, put it in his suit pocket and walked around with it for about an hour before leaving it on a stretcher at the hospital as the Secret Service prepared to fly back to Washington with the corpse of the the dead president and then didn't tell anyone about it for 60 years until he published a book this year. So, you know, at first glance, you think to yourself, no, no way. It has to be wrong. It's just another fake story. But the more I've studied it, I think that he did the wrong thing. It's a terrible dereliction of duty, but he might actually be telling the truth in a basic sense about having found this bullet, which is actually a quite infamous bullet. It's the one that's called the single bullet or the magic bullet by Oliver Stone and others. And uh, it explains how it ended up on a stretcher at the hospital where it was found about 45 minutes after the president left. So now we know how it got there through a secret service agent that did absolutely the wrong thing on that day. Gosh, it is the magic bullet that's the center of the loan or, or the conspiracy, really, because the thing, the theory is that one bullet couldn't have done the damage it did. But I mean, you address this in the book, don't you? It's one of the first things I looked at when I was investigating the case, because if this if that so-called single bullet isn't physically possible, then you've got a conspiracy from the get go because Oswald or any shooter didn't have time for more than three shots. One of them, according to the Warren Commission, the official report was this shot that hit Kennedy and went on to hit the governor. Now, what had happened is by the time I did the book 30 years ago, there was a whole series of new tests that could be done by ballistics and firearms experts wasn't available to the FBI when they investigated the case in 1963 and 64. And those new ballistic tests show you exactly how the single bullet happened. They reproduced that type of bullet all day long, a bullet that's slightly damaged going through two corpses, the size and weight of the president and the governor. So there's not a mystery in a ballistic sense forensic sense about that bullet. People are still stuck to the idea that it couldn't have happened. But in terms of those of us who study the case, that bullet did in fact wound those two men. The real point is it doesn't tell you anything more about the case. It just says that one shot fired by an assassin that day from behind the president wounded both the president and the governor. But it doesn't tell you who the shooter was. It doesn't tell you if there was a conspiracy. It doesn't tell you if there were other shooters at Didi Plaza 
People assume that if you conclude the single bullet happened, then you're saying just a lone assassin, no conspiracy. That's not the case at all. You're just starting your investigation. Yeah. And also, a lot of documents have come out in the last 30 years. I mean, not as many as perhaps people hoped, but they seem to back up your theory. I mean, it's just the CIA kind of covering their tracks a bit about other investigations. Yeah, but, you know, holding back on documents is the same thing if, if there was a major conspiracy theory, let's say in the UK about 7-7 or some such thing, and, and the government had an official panel, and then they sealed tens of thousands of documents about it, the British public would think they're hiding something. And that's what the American public thought. They said, why are these documents sealed for so long? And, and I think it's been a disgrace that they are. It's one of the governments shot itself in the foot on this. Uh, the, the American people have a right to know what the government knows about who killed the president. And these documents should have been released long ago. The fact that there are 4,000 left, millions of pages have been released, but now the 4,000 left, everybody says, well, that must be the smoking gun in there somewhere. And what's in those files? The, the tax records of Lee Harvey Oswald. They are totally, they've never been released in part. The tax records of Jack Ruby, tax records of some of the companies. William Manchester, the great historian who wrote a book called The Death of a President, his interviews with Jackie Kennedy, the first lady, and with Bobby Kennedy, the president's brother, they're still sealed. So people who are waiting for a major revelation about the conspiracy to kill the president are going to be disappointed. Historians are going to like the release of these final documents, which have been held up for a whole bunch of bureaucratic reasons. But there is nothing in there that's fundamentally going to change the way we understand this case after 60 years. But hasn't Robert Kennedy? Sorry, Andrew. Sorry, hasn't Robert Kennedy sort of said that the you know come out and said that this is covering up something? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the RFK Jr. has a split with his own family. The rest of his family uh, disagree with him on this. He believes that his uncle Jack Kennedy, the president, was killed by the CIA. Believes that his own father uh, Robert Kennedy was killed by the CIA. He has a sort of grand Byzantine plot. Uh, that rivals Oliver Stone in terms of its complexity, involves hundreds of people, uh, you know, in the government being able to pull this off. And it's it's interesting because he's been given a pass on this by the New York Times, and the Washington Post and others. I've talked to some of the reporters there who have covered the case because they know it's personal with him. They haven't taken him to task and shown how far out on the ledge he is in terms of some of his theorizing and how much of it's been disproven because... It is a personal issue. If he became president, it would be quite different. Yeah. Sorry, Phil, I should let you have a chance. No, no, it's a, I'd love to listen. Um, I was just thinking of your own book and that, you know, in the story of the, it's at the midpoint, isn't it, of the, of the story of the Kennedy assassination and the theories about it. I remember reading it 30 years ago and being incredibly impressed um, because I think like everybody else, I was just aware of Jack Ruby and there was lots of shooters that kept popping up and the, the famous onion parody that he was killed by the Teamsters and the FBI and Martians. And, but and I sort of guess I just thought there was, must be something to this. Your book coldly, cleanly and very persuasively knocked it all down. But you've also spent 30 years now defending that book because a lot of people have stood up to say, oh, yeah, that Posner guy, he's part of the conspiracy himself. During that you're, time, you're a CIA agent, aren't you? Yeah, you know, or, or I must be CIA asset. <laughs> but I mean, d- during that whole 30 years defending your own work, have any of these critics said anything that's made you think, actually, 
there was there is something there that I don't quite understand or contradicting what I thought I knew so, at any stage. No, so what they have done. So what is it in the last 30 years that has been interesting is the developments about the release of the files from the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, where Oswald spent time, the MIS-KGB, and to the extent that the Cuban government, Castro government, and its successor governments have released some of the files about Oswald's sort of very, very uh, raucous meetings at the uh, at the Cuban mission, uh, you know, in in Mexico City, only seven weeks before the assassination. The question is whether Oswald may have carried out the assassination, not as part of a plot, but in order to to impress Castro and those who had said no to him. He wanted to get to Havana, whether they egged him on in some ways to take some grand step. And this was part of what was in his background. The I'm still interested. You know, we say we want to see the files from the American archives. I hope one day to see the files from the Cuban archives that what they have in terms of the memos that were sent back from Cuban embassy officials about Oswald, it would be quite interesting to find out. And then we would know, you know, Phil and Andrew, whether the CIA, who was monitoring the Cubans very carefully, was spying on them all the time. If the Cubans said, oh, by the way, we had this very volatile guy in our in our embassy who was claiming to be a communist and we told him go back to america and prove to us how loyal you are the cia know that that was a potential risk coming back into america and then not tell anyone like the fbi you know we know that happened on 9-11 where the intelligence agencies didn't communicate with each other so those are the questions what develops in the last 30 years that I'm interested in finding out more it's not going to necessarily establish a conspiracy but I think it may show us more about Oswald's motivation. And you, you know, both Andrew and Phil, you will appreciate this, that when Case Closed was signed up by Random House, you know, and especially, Andrew, you're an agent and you publish your own book, so you know how this process works. They they turned the book down initially because it wasn't a book that said, here's what happens in the case. It was a book that was just going to look at the facts and maybe tell you the three or four mysteries that were left. Only after Oliver Stone did his film and everybody then was interested in the Kennedy assassination, did they say yes, they paid very little for the book. It was a small book. And about halfway through the research, I sat down with Harry Evans, who you well know, who has been the editor of the London Sunday Times had established the Insight team. That great group of investigative reporters who went off for months and came back with the DC 10 stories, the Lidamide, all those details. And Harry believed it was the mafia. Um, and my editor, Bob Loomis, and I said, I think you can put out a book that says, here's who killed Kennedy. And Harry said, like, who? And I said, Oswald. And they said, and who? And I said, Oswald. And there was a moment in which you could tell Harry was afraid that all I had done was gone off and read the Warren Commission and come back with this. They didn't know what they were going to do. When Harry eventually saw what was new in terms of the ballistics, how I... It, criticized and showed where the errors were of the Warren Commission, how the FBI and the CIA had covered this up and people misinterpreted it as a cover-up of a murder, but it was a cover-up of their own bureaucratic reputations. He became what I call a born-again sort of lone assassin enthusiast. And Harry is the reason that Case Close was received well, I believe, in 1993 when it was published, because he put his personal reputation behind it. He wrote letters to, you know, the editors that he knew and the reviewers at different places saying, I believe in this book. If that book had been published by a smaller publisher with less enthusiasm, and it can make the difference, uh, they were worried at, at Random House, and I was as well, that the book would not sell 
five copies because who would be interested in paying $25? The few people who thought it was Oswald would say, well, I know that. I don't need to hear that. And all of those who thought it was a conspiracy, which was the vast majority after Stone's film, would say, I'm not going to waste $25 on a rehash of the Warren Commission. Only when they realized it was new. So I look back on that period and you realize after 13 books now, I know the difference between a publisher who publishes with vigor and enthusiasm and one who doesn't. And I must say that Random House got behind that book. And and, and as a result, by the way, for a sidelight, Harry Evans has been accused of being part of British intelligence by some of the conspiracy theories. And, and Bob Loomis, my oh, editor, so Bob Loomis has been accused of being a, a member of the CIA. And so that's how it must have all happened. Okay. So for people who don't, people, you know, you and I and Andrew know a lot about this story. Um, and but I'm guessing quite a few people who are listening and watching don't. Given everything you now know about Oswald, who is your, you know, he is the the lone assassin. How do you now interpret the year leading up to the to the assassination? His behaviour, his motivation. What really made him do it? Can I just jump in there because I'm uh, representing a book at the moment that argues that Lauren Hall was involved in this. That actually um, Oswald was tricked into into becoming the assassin. By people who were thought that this would get you know allow them to invade Cuba. I don't know if you've come across that theory. That 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 theory has made its way around. I didn't know it was now into a book, but I'm not surprised. Um, Rob Reiner, the famous American producer, just has finished a ten pot part podcast here in America that looks as though he just woke up from a coma 25 years ago because it's all old information that's been long debunked. He interviewed me for an hour for it and then sent me a note on the day of the publication to say of the podcast to say, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we sort of had an idea. I wanted to sh- uh, have a podcast about what I thought happened and your views didn't really fit in. So we left you out. <laughs> you know, that's the way it works. So there will always be a market for that. But what you said a moment ago is why Oswald? And that's the key. The Warren Commission was very, very weak on providing the why, the motive. And and, and people, a, a prosecutor doesn't need to establish the reason why in convicting someone of murder. They just need to show they did it. But the public, juries, want to know why. It's an indispensable part. And with Oswald, is peculiar, as is Oswald. He's just turned 24 years old. I wrote a piece recently on Substack called The Equivocal Assassin. The, this was a young guy who committed himself to assassination as political change. He had tried to kill a retired army general in April, just a few months before the assassination, a fellow called Edwin Walker, who he thought was the next Adolf Hitler. He was going to become governor of Texas and then move on to the presidency. He gave much too credit, much too much credence to Walker. He shot at Walker, missed him when the bullet just grooved along the edge of a window frame. But this was going to be his contribution to history. And in November of 63, when he comes back to Dallas, dejected and heartbroken over the fact that he was rejected on his attempts to get a visa from the Soviets and the Cubans to go down to Havana, where he thought the real revolution was taking place. Oswald comes back to the U.S. He gets a job at a place called the Texas School Book Depository through a friend of his wife, not from the CIA or any grand plot. And three days before Kennedy is killed, He reads in the newspaper because they print the motorcade that the motorcade route is going to come right in front of the building from where he's working. And he has an opportunity on a silver platter to throw a cog into the machinery of government much bigger than killing Edwin Walker. The Oswald that I came to understand could have been on the sixth floor of a building in downtown Moscow shooting that day at Nikita Khrushchev. He'd come to hate the Soviet Union. He hated the U.S. even more. He thought the only real revolution was taking place in Cuba. 
And the night before the assassination, he has to go and collect the rifle that is tied the next day ballistically to all the shots that hit Kennedy and the governor. He collects that rifle at a place where his wife is staying. They're separated. They've had a very raucous marriage. She's staying with a friend outside of Dallas. And he has a discussion with her. He says, come back. Stay with me. Let's reunite. I'll buy you a washing machine. Big deal for them. They had only $200 to their name. And he makes this effort and she rebuffs him at every opportunity. And there's an open question. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. He has discussed it since. What if I had said yes to him? You know, was he lying that night when he said, get back together? If she had said yes, would he have left the rifle in the garage and not taken it wrapped in paper the next day and pretended it was curtain rods? The It's hard for us to imagine that history, momentous history, could change on the whim. You want to think that an assassin is a dedicated zealot, like the murder of the, you know, uh, Archduke to start World War I, or Bobby Kennedy's assassin, uh, Sirhan Sirhan, who is writing in a diary every day, Bobby Kennedy must die, RFK must die, RFK must die. It's hard to think that the chaos of life could have a person who's willing to make his mark in history and literally take the opportunity to kill Kennedy, but not be so impassioned in hatred against that individual. And and that's Oswald. That's the odd part of explaining this case. And so it's him. a mixture of political beliefs, strange political beliefs, um, mixed an with odd. an odd personality, and possibly even whatever's going on in his private life, just trigger him to go for it. You know, the, uh, his, his wife that night when they were sleeping together, Marina, uh, Russian wife who had brought, brought over, she recalled and testified at the time that she put her leg out to his in the bed they were sleeping in and he forced it away with this ferocity that she thought, my, he's in a mean mood. When she woke up the next day, he'd already left for the Texas School Book Depository. She didn't see it right away or she would have been nervous. There was like $187 on the dresser. That was most of everything they had. And he had taken off his wedding ring and left it there for the first time. What's also interesting about Oswald, we have to remember, is that when the assassination takes place, let's, you know, there are people that say he's a complete patsy. He wasn't even there. He must have been on the lunch floor. He didn't know what was going on. He was framed. So what does he do? This man who supposedly was just a patsy, an innocent person, didn't know what was happening. When the assassination takes place and the word spreads, he is the only one of all the employees who leaves the building, walks out the front door. He gets in a taxi for the first time in his life. He didn't have enough money to take a taxi. He's in a rush to get somewhere, but there's so much traffic, he gets out and takes a bus, goes to his rooming house where he's staying with these other guys and gets his pistol, changes clothes, and then he's walking quickly to a location that only he 
takes to the grave with him. And he is stopped by a Dallas policeman. There are four or five young men stopped that day in the aftermath of the assassination based on an all-points bulletin from a witness who had seen Oswald do the shooting. Mid-20s, brown hair, Caucasian. And for some reason, Oswald seemed suspicious enough to this policeman to stop him. But the policeman did not call into the station that he had stopped a suspect, which means it was just uh, something odd about him. He gets out of the car, the cop, he doesn't take out his gun, and Oswald takes out his pistol and shoots him dead in front of a dozen witnesses. No question, the ballistics tie it. And then he tries to get away, ducking into a theater a little ways away, hoping that he will be missed. But somebody follows him and they're able to identify him. So all of the idea that this fellow was just an innocent person who somehow got framed by the operation. If you look at his actions after the assassination, they are the actions of flight. They're the actions of somebody getting away. And whether you want to say he just brought in the assassination rifle or he knew about the plot or something was going on, this is the fellow who's running after it, where it's trying to get away, kills a policeman and then gets caught. There's just been a documentary here, uh, which I don't know if it's been shown in the States, with the doctors in the trauma room. And they make the case that that he was shot in the front rather than the back. You know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. You're right. I have to remind myself sometimes that I have a life other than Kennedy, so it's good to be able to go on <laughs> things. But the reason I say this is because if I just was looking at this case, my blood pressure, I would probably have high blood pressure as a, a chronic medical condition. That documentary that was done by Paramount is a shameful documentary. Now, you look at it, and if you're just watching it as an observer, it has all of the earmarks of a real documentary. These are the doctors who treated Kennedy at the time. They're gathered around in this group table. It's fantastic. And they're reaching these conclusions. How can this possibly be wrong? First of all, these are the, there were over 25 different doctors, physicians, medical orderlies, nurses who had access to trauma room one where Kennedy was treated at some point on that day at Parkland Hospital. This is what I call, and you can go through the line, the secondary group of doctors not involved in the actual efforts to resuscitate him or do anything on him. You can go down the list. I interviewed every one of the primary treating physicians at Parkland in 1992. I have extensive interviews with them and I have them in a full chapter. They debunk every part of the theories now talked about in this documentary. They say, yes, we did think it was a front shot. We looked at him. We saw a small hole on his neck. And all of us, when treating him, said, oh, he was shot in the neck. Then we did a tracheotomy over that so you could never see it again. And and so I said, here's the key question. What about the wound on his back that's a little bit higher that looks as though it's a bullet entry wound in which the clothing on the jacket and the shirt are pushed in as though that's the entrance? They said, oh, everyone independently. We never turned him over. We never took the president because he had this massive wound. He was brought in. He's laying on his back. We treated him. No one turned him over. We never saw that bullet wound. So the only one they saw was the one from the front. Yes, it looked like an entrance wound. Then when they saw the autopsy x-rays and photos, which they then studied, they realized that that was actually the exit wound from a back wound that was even smaller. But these doctors are rehashing that history as though none of that happened. The producers who put that together never contacted me. They never reached out for a counter interview. They never asked for any facts. They had an idea to sell They've done it in a very slick package. And it's really disappointing because this is the type of material which you can't fight eventually. I'm just one person out here saying, oh, by the way, I've got 31-year-old interviews that debunk all of those issues. But few people are interested in that. They'll watch instead the documentary and be quite impressed by it. And it really is unfortunate. 
I mean, do you feel you're a lone voice? I mean, are other, I mean, you know, you've got fantastic reviews on Amazon. I mean, I think 63% five star. So, I mean, the people reading the book, I mean, people like Phil and, and me are convinced, but, um, are, are other people in a sense being interviewed now with you saying, look, you know, this, the, I'm afraid, you know, this is the real story. You may want to believe other things, but it's not right. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's still a, a surviving member of the Warren Commission. Uh, you know, he's nearing 90, um, but they expect him to say that. Uh, the, uh, the Vince Bugliosi, the, the former prosecutor, uh, you know, got Charles Manson locked up, did a, a, a big tome, as uh, you think my book could be used as a doorstop. His book could be used as a even a better doorstop. Um, but he's passed away. Uh, there are a lot of researchers who happen to believe this, but they don't have the the profile to be able to go ahead and, and argue it all the time. And and I do think that it, a conspiracy is a sexier story, if you want to say to sell. Uh, you've got a reason to say, oh, my God, you, you're kidding. They they had an Oswald duplicate. They did what? Oh, they, they had six assassins there. One was firing from the sewer. It, it sound, it's a much better sell than coming back and saying, well, oh, by the way. It's human nature, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. we had, we've talked a lot about Diana recently and her death, and several people have said it's just so mundane and so kind of inconsequential that somebody as important as that could die in a drunken car crash for going too quickly. Uh, you know, but even though we all know those sort of things happen every day, but given the size of the impact of her death, and perhaps the same is true with Kennedy, it, what, such I, a big event, it can't yeah. just be one person, can it? So, yeah. like, you no, know, you're right. We want something. A, a conspiracy makes you feel better somehow about the death of a famous person. It's terrible to think that chaos exists. You know, that's the way the world works. And on, on Diana, two years after her death on the second anniversary, Tina Brown um, was launching Talk Magazine, uh, the short-lived Talk Magazine. And she came to me and she said, for the premier issue, I want you to reinvestigate, uh, you know, what happened in Diana's death. Tina was suspicious about whether there might have been a plot or something like that. So I said, Tina, the problem is I'm the person who thinks Lee Harvey Oswald alone killed Kennedy. And she <laughs> said, that's why you're the perfect person for this. You understand Tina had a great idea of how to get headlines. If you come back and find there's something foul my god it'll be great so i spent two and a half three months uh long before that magazine my wife trisha we went over to paris we were in london we met with all the the paparazzi went through files and in the end i found a lot of things that were wrong in the french investigation and what went wrong and i found an, a national security agency an nsa recording of diana at the brazilian embassy here in washington good things like that but my bottom line was car crash tina was so crestfallen that i came back <laughs> in the car crash so they um I didn't okay well the one, the one thing that everybody says and this is i think is the moment when it really did appear to the world even then to be something massive is when oswald is being marched out of the prison two days after being arrested i think and then this guy jack ruby all sorts of dodgy underworld connections runs nightclubs steps forward and kills him. And then that that single fact, that single fact in front of live TV cameras as well, I think made a lot of the people in the world susceptible to a conspiracy theory. But you've written about him on Substack. I read your piece recently that how random it was. And he actually wasn't even, uh, it was quite a fluke that he even encountered him on that day. Yeah, yes. So the thing is, you're absolutely right that if you say to me, what's the single reason there are a lot of reasons but the single reason most people are suspicious about the case it's this reason i was suspicious about it. i used to think it was probably the mafia because of ruby's murder of oswald you have to say if you have an assassin of a national leader put into custody and two days later killed by someone 
who looked like, you know, they were in central casting for a mafia movie or that, you would be a fool not to think something was wrong. It looks like the silencing of the assassin until you get into the details. And you're right, Phil. The problem is that Jack Ruby, his motivation, how he ends up there on that Sunday shooting at Oswald is not easily encapsulated in a soundbite. So when people say, you know, I'm on a national program and I'm on, you know, the Today Show on NBC and they say, so tell me about Ruby. How did that happen? It's not a soundbite answer. And so, you know, it's a difficult process to explain because you have Oswald tough enough to explain to people. And then you have Ruby afterwards. And although I do think that they are completely independent and I understand now how they happen, I also understand why people instinctively believe there has to be something else there because of Ruby's murder. If Oswald had gone to well, trial... What's, your, what's yeah. your sort of one-paragraph Ruby explanation as to how Ruby, that happened? Ruby gets worked up over the weekend by his sister and by others that he talks to. He comes from a rough and tough world in which he's his own bouncer at his club. He carries a gun all the time. And he comes to believe by Sunday, he's not going to act on it, that Oswald would be better off if if somebody did shoot him, in fact, because it would... That's what Oswald deserved. But Ruby isn't the one going out to shoot him. He happens to go downtown on that morning on a Sunday to send a $25 money gram to one of his strippers who calls him in the morning and needs it. And that's the only place in Dallas where he can do it on a Sunday morning. And then Oswald, who should have left long ago from police custody, has been delayed because he asked for a change of clothes and somebody else interviewed him. Ruby sees the crowd down the street locks his two dogs, his favorite dogs, in his car, walks down the street to see what's going on, realizes Oswald's about to be moved, and walks down the sort of that ramp into the garage. And literally, it's what Jack Ruby does all his life, acts on an impulsive moment that gets him into trouble time and time again. This time, it's going to put him in the history books. He whips out his gun, shoots Oswald. And this is like a movie. He says, you know, you killed my president, you rat type of thing. It's like James Cagney, (laughs) a bad movie. And then when he's tackled by the police, he's saying to them not to be so rough with him. He says, you know me, it's Jack. It's Jack because he thinks he's going to get convicted at the very worst for a crime in Texas at that time called murder without malice. It's a very Texas crime, right? Murder without <laughs> malice. The, uh, I like it. And, and I'll run to feed that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know. It's, uh, and that, that crime would have put him away for five years maximum. Uh, and uh, for Jack Ruby, that was worth the chance. One last quick thing on Ruby. We forget 60 years later in that first weekend how much public opinion thought the assassin had been caught when word spread out onto the street, there was a crowd of a few hundred people in Dallas waiting to see Oswald transferred. When the word spread that he had been shot, they didn't know if he was alive or dead. There's a local news crew filming it at the time. The crowd breaks spontaneously into applause and cheers. It's such a, a, a chilling moment to see this crowd waiting for the transfer of Oswald and then cheering the fact that he's been shot. So Ruby is playing to what he thinks is that element years later or you know in his defense he would say i wanted to spare mrs kennedy coming back for a trial all of that i think was made up jack ruby in his tough world thought that this would be something he'd be clapped on the back for and been named a hero oswald had stained history in dallas he was going to take that stain away gosh because i mean i I saw there was a gallup poll that said something like 65 percent of americans still believe that there was another assassin i mean it sounds like you know it's very difficult to change the, the 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 gauge on this Well, Andrew, here's the good news. I mean, people, you know, 
tend would say to me, aren't you disappointed in that? And I say, no, I'm, I'm rather, I guess I have a glass half full view, which is that after Stone's film in 1990, 91, the number of people thought it was a lone assassin went to 6% in national polls. So it was gone. There was nobody who believed it. When we came out with Case Closed in 93, people thought I had landed on a spaceship from some other planet and was suggesting that Oswald alone might. So the fact that a third of Americans today, 60 years later, have come to the simple conclusion on the case, there's been no deathbed confession, no great documents have come out that show that it was a conspiracy. I'm heartened by the fact you're never going to have complete agreement on this. I get that. You're always going to have a lot of people who think in a day and age in which we're more conspiratorial than ever on many many subjects, many people are going to think it's a conspiracy who don't study it or believe false information or outdated facts. So that I get, probably even a majority. But the fact that a third of Americans now can conclude it's Oswald, that's pretty good by uh, the standards of uh, what I look at. It means there's a tremendous market still for a case closed among the doubters. Exactly. And I mean, has Oliver Stone changed his views? I mean, is he? have you ever had a conversation with him to say, actually, you know, I regret doing that film? Oh, no, no. As a matter of fact, if anything, he would, I'm sure, double down. He's never agreed to have a discussion with me. I've tried any number of times. And at one point, I wrote a piece for the New York Times magazine about new information that had come out about the Garrison trial, which was uh, the district attorney in New Orleans who he had based his film on, Kevin Costner. And and he wrote a very nasty letter to the Times saying, oh, it's very convenient that uh, – People who have the official explanation, like Posner, get access to the New York Times, but I'm unable to uh, oh, to be able to, you know, some of my things. So he must think in some way that I'm part of. You have to view it from his paranoid view. Stone comes out with a film that says it's this massive conspiracy, and then the government passes a law that says let's release all the Kennedy files afterwards. It was they should have done that long ago, but the film did that. That's great. And then all of a sudden, as there's some steam building for investigating the case, along comes this Johnny come lately, some me with no reputation in the assassination. I've never before studied or written about it. I publish a book that says it's Oswald, concluding that after all my research, that book is widely received and praised from the New York Times to the Washington Post. And then is a finest for the Pulitzer in Oliver Stone's view and in the view of many of the conspiracy theorists. The New York Times, the Washington Post, other major American media had failed to adequately investigate the case. They had accepted early on the conclusion that it was Oswald. And then as the case was heating up, along comes a reporter like me who says, oh, by the way, it is Oswald alone. And they all embrace that because it lets them off the hook. They say, oh, thank goodness you said that because we really don't have to investigate the case. And that's all part of the cover up. And either I must be a complete dolt and fool to have bought the cover up or I'm some clever asset for the intelligence agencies, you know, killing the possibility of a theory. And I was amazed at that. Look, you know, I've written about Nazi war criminals and and Chinese triads and and about the Saudis and 9-11. I've never had to have a police file opened up, an FBI file opened up. The only time was after case closed when my wife and I received so many threats. I was accosted uh, physically on the street in New York by a flight attendant on a flight. We received dead fish in a package. We had a rat's tail sent to us. Uh, very threatening material. That's hard to believe that you could be an investigative reporter. And the only time people are actually out to threaten to, that they want to kill you is when you say Oswald did it alone. But that's the passion that some of the people who think it's a conspiracy have that it's a religion for them almost. And is, it, is it partly, do you think, because this idea of Kennedy 
as the sort of failed messiah. He was going to do so many things. He was going to end the Vietnam War. He was going to transform American society for the better. He was going to do all these things. And of course, this assassination, controlled by all these shadowy forces, stopped him doing them. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 mean, no, no. I, I don't know if he was going to do any of those things. And he probably wasn't. No. But, but, but that, that truly is human nature, which is to look forward and say, oh, things would have been better if it hadn't been for that. And, and you know, maybe it would have been different if what followed, we had some great things done under Lyndon Johnson, like the Civil Rights Act, some great things in America, but it was overshadowed by Vietnam and the lies the government told about Vietnam. And then we, we came into the late 60s and the growth of the weather underground and, and the left. And we had Cambodia and Laos. We had Watergate. We had the lies eventually over Iran-Contra. So things looked bad politically and I think that a lot of people looked at Kennedy, this young, charismatic president, the best and the brightest. That's what they called it, right? It was Camelot. So it was this magical period after the gray, dull Eisenhower years. And all of that's cut off abruptly. Lyndon Johnson is not charismatic at all. The person who replaces him. And so you, and then on top of that, the assassinations of his brother five years later and Martin Luther King. People think it would have been a different America, and we don't know. Maybe it would have been. It would have been different, but we don't know how. But they ascribed to Kennedy all the things that turned out to be bad. He would have known better. He would have kept us out of Vietnam. He wouldn't have allowed it to become this. And so as a result, they say, therefore, they must have, they, you know, the, the secret government, the powers that be, must have done something to stop him. And one last thing, that, you know, people say the CIA and the mafia killed the president. And I say to them all the time, while the CIA and the mafia were in league together, trying to kill a head of state in the early 60s, it wasn't Kennedy, it was Castro. And they were the Keystone cops. They couldn't even wound him. They tried nine times. They failed to even once, you know, get close to killing him. But somehow we are to believe that the same people who were inefficiently trying to get Castro turned it all around and pulled off the perfect crime in Dallas. I just don't believe it. I think that's a very good point to end. This has been brilliant. I mean, the, you have the facts at your tip, fingertips. I mean, do you dread November anniversaries because it all comes round again? You've got to make the same case, or do you find that you, you know, people, as you say, people are changing their views, and so it's worth. Yeah. I, 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 I don't mind it. The person who minds it is Trisha, who said to me, and a couple of years after Case Close had been published, she said. I'm so glad not to be living with Lee Harvey Oswald anymore. And little <laughs> did she know that Lee Harvey Oswald comes back into her life. She's only <laughs> 10 feet away from me here, listening to it again. Hello. There she I is. She, I'm so she sorry. Punished. She gets punished That's by having okay. to listen to them. And she, you know, and she hears them. And, you know, she, uh, I think, you know, it's fine. It's better that we're discussing it than, uh, than not being able to discuss it at all. But sometimes I do think, uh, as a last thing, when you mentioned the doctors, doctors, documentary that was out. I have the information about that and maybe I'll write a substack and I'll show exactly why it's such a, a, a shameful program. But at some point, like Vince Bugliosi has passed away when I'm no longer here or that, I you'll lose that. the ability for people to have that answer. You know, the uh, the yeah. false information tends to to uh, to last a little bit longer or prosper a little longer or whatever this, else. This podcast will go on forever. It'll be eternal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what It'll I... It'll be uh, your last testament. That'll be it. The uh, It's a good last testament if I had to have one. Oh, that's so good. Look, we really appreciate you giving it all this time. I, I think the whole world wants to talk to you this week, but... Thanks to you and, and to the shadowy figure behind the screen. Hi there. Thanks for sharing him. <laughs> Thanks so much. You're always so brilliant.
Andrew, yeah, we're we're thank you very much. We love talking to you. Neil, Andrew, thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.